Welcome to the Beautiful Illusions Podcast, where two friends, Jeff and Darren, ponder the intersection of reality, consciousness, and culture. These conversations comprise an ongoing attempt to construct meaning by exploring art and science, enriching our understanding of the context underpinning our current moment in time, and imagining possible futures for human civilization. Of course, we don't claim any special knowledge, expertise, or insight into any of these topics. We just enjoy learning, thinking, and talking about big ideas, deep questions, and the beautiful illusion that is the subjective human experience. In today's episode, What Does It Mean to Be a Man?, Jeff and I grapple with the idea of masculinity and what it means to live as a man in 2023. First, we briefly touch on how masculinity is frequently discussed in the context of toxic masculinity, and then begin to examine how we have come to understand what it means to be a man. This leads to a discussion of our relationships and experiences with our own fathers, how concepts such as masculinity might exist on a spectrum that changes over time, and how we might move forward and build a more positive and affirmative vision of masculinity. Although this conversation is very much an attempt to make meaning for ourselves, it is by no means an end to our thinking on this subject, and is in fact quite the opposite, an initial conversation about a complex topic we plan on delving into more deeply in the future. As always, a complete set of show notes with links to almost everything we discuss or reference can be found on our website, beautifulillusions.org. And now for today's episode, what does it mean to be a man? So I've developed a new way to prep for our podcast since we've gone to this more casual mode. I used to sit in my nonfiction reading chair and look at my Google Doc of 8,000 quotations and try and highlight the ones that I would want to squeeze into the episode. But lately, since we've done this more casual discussion, when I get in the car, I go into Prime Music or uh, Spotify, whichever one I'm trying to get free month out of that at that time, and I type in, so for the alcohol, I typed in alcohol playlist. So today I went in, and you want to talk about men and masculinity, and I, I don't know, I didn't know what to type in, so I typed in man playlist. G- guess what popped up when I typed in man playlist? So what popped up in terms of the artists and musicians? Or yeah, I guess, the- yeah. What, t- what do you think was the first playlist on that list? What type of music do you think was the first playlist? I mean, I would think something like, I don't know, either like 80s or 70s, like rockist, like... Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking of like um, Eye of the Tiger or something like that. You know, like that kind of music or... uh, So it was country music. Oh, it was country. Yeah, which which I think... um, Like old country or new country? uh, So the first list was 100 greatest classic country. So old country. And then throwback country. And then... Well, well, the third one was Rediscover the 70s, which might be somewhere in what you're kind of aiming at. Okay, yeah. But yeah, the first one was country. So... I was like, that's a weird one. Um, it's the one I ended up listening to, and I'll come back to that. But then I typed in masculine playlist. Uh-huh. And then I scrolled down, and there's um, there's the Prime playlist, and then there's the Community playlist, which are com- created by people who are on Prime. And the first one was Toxic Masculinity. And the second one was F Masculine Fragility. And I was like, whoa. That's funny. So what Darren is already like talking about is here. Yeah. So just real quick, I ended up picking the 100 greatest classic country songs, and it just cracked me up because the first two songs are by females, and the first song is Crazy by yeah. Patsy Cline. Say Stand By Your Man? <laughs> uh, that, uh, the second song is Jolene by Dylan Parton, and Stand By Your Man is like the sixth song. Oh, and then funny. every song by a male on that list is usually a love song. Okay. So like Ring of Fire... Cold, cold heart, uh, Hank Williams. But I should have listened to the toxic masculinity. I should have listened to each of those other ones and been like, "What? What type of music is here?" Yeah. Well, so I'm wondering if the toxic masculinity playlist is songs that would be associated with toxic masculinity, like a bunch of really aggro stuff, like the end of the '90s, like uh, you know, uh, Limp Biscuit or something, and like people burning down, you know, Woodstock '99 and all, all that kind of stuff. Or would it be? stuff that's a takedown of the concept of masculinity that seems like it would be more the f men and their fragility or whatever kind of playlist but um i think you know one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation we we've been dancing around it for years really i mean obviously 
uh, we both identify as being uh, men, right? Yes. I'm a biological male. You're a biological male. Yeah. Uh, we both, I, uh, you know, I feel like a man and I, uh, my inner identity and my outward expression are male. Uh, and I just feel like when you hear about the term manhood or masculinity at all now in our culture, it always has that um, adjective toxic in front of it, right? And it's, it's like, there's a lot in the discourse about toxic masculinity and all the problems with the patriarchy and male culture. And, and a lot of the criticisms and a lot of the critique is, is valid to some extent, but it just got me wondering, what does it mean to be a man or to live as a man in 2023 in our culture? And is there like a positive, affirmative vision of manhood? And I've heard this now come up on various podcasts. I shared a couple of things with you where this has been talked about. Um, I've been listening for a long time to the Art of Manliness podcast. So Brett McKay is someone who I look at as a pioneer in this without explicitly saying this is what I'm about. He's essentially, in my mind, modeling his vision of what it is to be a man in today's world. And his title is almost close to explicit. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, so right. He's kinda, yeah. He just doesn't actually say it, but he's talking about it. And so as men who've had our life experiences and as fathers who are raising sons and as educators who work in schools with young boys and men, you know, I, I feel like this is a topic that is important to talk about. It's the funniest part about it is that I'm nervous because I'm nervous that I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. It's, it's weird that this discussion has become something that you should be nervous about. Like there's certain things that we're afraid to talk about on this podcast because we don't want to say stupid stuff about it. Right. And this is one of those things. I don't want to come off as a guy who's trying to explain anything, mansplaining. I don't want to be a white suburban male who thinks he knows all of these things about something. And there's this fear that I'm going to say something that's going to offend somebody because of how I view masculinity or anything in these realms or these labels that we put on things. It's, I don't know why I'm nervous about it. Well, I think that it goes to some of the identitarian bent of our current culture and moment where by talking about being a man or masculinity, it automatically gets looked at through the frame of, well, if you're talking positively about masculinity or, or even critiques of masculinity or anything, are you somehow degrading femininity and women and, you know, and women have had to work so hard in the world to get to the place where they are, where essentially now opportunity wise, you know, there, there's more equal opportunity than there probably ever has been in the history of human culture to some extent. And I, I say that without actually knowing that, but it seems that way. It feels like if you want to talk about these issues that, yeah, somehow you're going to come across as, um, you know, whining or being like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like the feeling of, you know, you should just be quiet about this and, yeah. and not oh, have this conversation. Oh, you poor white guys have it so hard. Well, right. Yeah. Or you, or you men in general, you yeah. know, and, and you look out in our culture, you know, we live in the United States and you go, well, all the positions of power are still predominantly held by men. There's a disproportionate level of wealth that's held by men. And so like those true facts, those metrics still do indicate that like men are doing very well. And I don't know if it's even about doing well versus not doing well, but just about the idea of what does it mean to be a man? Like there's stereotypical visions of, of manliness and manhood that we have in our minds, I think from the past. Um, and I think that when we were growing up in the eighties, Probably those things held sway in culture a lot more than they do today, at least in, you know, in more progressive places. And I don't think we think of something like the Marlboro, 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 the Marlboro, Marlboro, I can't say Marlboro, Marlboro, Marlboro. You're, you're just not a man. You yeah, can't say yeah. Marlboro. But he's like wearing plaid and he's yeah. smoking a cigarette and he's on a horse and, you know, yeah. he's like stoic and out there in the country and like this almost cowboy, um, you know, vision. And According to Wikipedia, the Marlboro Man was used in tobacco advertising campaigns for Marlboro cigarettes in the U.S. from 1954 to 1999. First conceived in 1954, the images initially featured rugged men portrayed in a variety of roles, but later primarily featured a rugged cowboy or cowboys in picturesque wild terrain. Interestingly, the ads were originally conceived as a way to popularize filtered cigarettes, which at the time were considered feminine. 
The campaign is said to be one of the most brilliant advertisement campaigns of all time, which transformed a feminine campaign with the slogan, mild as May, into one that was masculine in a matter of months. And, and classic country, I think, would very much kind of fit into that. That's about as emotional as a, a man's allowed to get. It's like, you know, I can play my guitar and sing a sad song about the woman that left me or whatever. Stole um, my truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go back to my earlier comment about being nervous. And I think any movement forward that makes it harder to discuss something is not a good movement forward. If you want to deal with a difficult subject, you need to be able to discuss that difficult subject. Not being able to discuss it just makes it more and more difficult. Shutting down any kind of discourse is not necessarily the best way to move forward. There has to be some kind of engagement. And as you just kind of pointed out, I think our generation, the, when we grew up, is a pretty interesting beginning point because we grew up with a drastically different vision of masculinity than what there is today. And we went through this whole like transition and we've seen it. And I think we both became different types of man today than the vision we grew up with. Definitely. I mean, especially, uh, I don't know. I'm so, cause I know my father and my father was a man's man. And like I, my father was the classic post-World War II man, uh, you know, sports and everything. And I'll come back to this, but your father seems different to me, but was like, uh, growing up, did he, what type of vision of masculinity did you get from your father? So I guess if I, if I think about it in terms like you're saying, so my dad's life experience, I think was different than your dad. So like my dad definitely was more of a free spirited kind of guy in the sixties, you know, definitely more counter-cultural almost, but also traditional because he came from, you know, a pretty traditional family and his father, I mean, I remember him as like an angry grandfather who like, he went to work in the wire factory and he came home and he was, he had his routine and he was very, uh, stayed and, and like, you know, don't go in the garage and touch grandpa's tools or you're going to get yelled at. And, and, you know, he wanted to sit down on Sunday and his dinner needed to be ready at his, like, he was that kind of guy. And that's what my dad grew up in. But I think my dad is not was not like that. I, I think the the thing that I would pick up from my own dad that I think would have been traditionally associated the most with what it is to be a man is being a provider for your family. Uh, so I think we grew up in a time where a lot of our moms were still stay-at-home moms or or they were like a foot in both worlds. They Maybe they worked a little bit. Like my mom kind of was both. But when I was young, she was home with me and my brothers and she didn't go back to work until after my youngest, after Doug was born later. And my dad was the one who got up in the morning before we were awake. So we didn't see him and he went to work. And, you know, then he came home and, and my mom was with us um, and my dad was always working and providing for the family. And we knew that. But my dad also, so like this is where it's kind of interesting. He also, um, and I know this now, like made sacrifices in terms of his ability to move up in his company that he worked in. You know, he was in this pre-press industry, which doesn't exist anymore, but that's a whole nother story. But anyway, um, because he consciously wanted to have the afternoons and the weekends and that time to be able to go to our baseball games and, and be with the family. So in that sense, he did want to engage more as a father. And I do remember him doing things like taking us fishing and we'd go camping and do even those things though, are like more traditional, like manly kind of things now that I think about it. Um, but he wasn't like an athlete, even though he loved sports and he still does. So I never felt the pressure. I don't think to, to be athletic because he was, Although I had, you know, lots of issues around sports when I was young and my dad being my coach and all that, all those struggles. So I know that's, that's long, but I, I think being the provider for the family is really the main thing that I would have picked up from my dad. Yeah. And my dad had different, completely different backstory because my dad grew up literally on a farm and my dad's father fought in World War I. Uh, World War II, jeez, that would have been an old stuff. <laughs> My grandfather fought in World War II, and he was kind of, uh, he didn't talk a lot. He sat in his recliner. My grandpa, he had his German shepherd sitting next to him. He was like the image of masculinity. But in the same sense, my grandmother, Wilma, uh, who grew up on a farm, grew up in East Smithfield, Pennsylvania. Her family basically owns the town. The Nichols, they're, they're, they're all over that town. Maybe 3,000 people in the town and like two-thirds of them are Nichols. And uh, she was, so we think about this term masculinity, she was a, a, a 
a masculine woman before her time. Like, and I mean that as a hundred percent compliment. Like, mm-hmm. I don't mean that as a critique in any sense. She just, as she was a kick-ass woman, she um, she was a great athlete. So she was a. They, my dad used to tell stories about uh, at the farm they used to have a basket hoop, and my grandmother played college basketball. Like back when female college basketball had completely different rules. There was the defenders and there were offenders and the defenders didn't cross half court. There was huh. this whole different game. And my grandmother was this amazing shooter. So my uncle Terry played basketball in college on a scholarship and they used to have free throw competitions. And my dad used to say that him and my grandpa would be in for like 20 or so and then they would miss and they would sit out. But my uncle and my grandma would just go until like dark they like just keep shooting they wouldn't miss and my grandmother shot granny style so she would shoot which is they used to it's like some men used to shoot this way i think yeah was it pistol pete think, yeah uh, yeah yeah. i think uh, you're right uh and th- so she would shoot granny style meaning she would put the ball between her legs and she would throw it up from between her legs but she wouldn't miss and my uncle terry was a good shooter and they would just be out there forever so And she was like, so she was a farm woman. So she would do a lot of hardcore chores and like be involved in that. But then my grandfather was even more like, he's like, he's still in my mind um, uh, because I know him as a kid and I idealized him to a certain extent. He's the strongest man I've ever known in my life. Like uh, my dad used to tell stories about him, like a bull was misbehaving and my my grandfather (laughs) would lift up the bull and like, it's uh, it's almost like the myth of Paul Bunyan. Yeah. And he would, um... My dad loves to tell stories. And this is the same thing about masculinity. My dad loves to tell stories about my grandfather losing his temper. Uh, They were at a baseball game and somebody just randomly slapped the back of his hood and said, son of a bitch. And my uh, my grandfather takes the guy and throws him on the car because he thought he was insulting my grandmother by saying, son of a bitch. I don't know. It's this weird thing about like like a defender and a... Yeah. He could handle himself in a rough situation. Yeah, yeah. That whole kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up. Like, I was told to my face at age eight that boys don't cry. Yeah. I don't know if it was age eight. Yeah. I was told to my face that boys don't cry. And so my dad has, uh, my dad is a great guy and he's a great dad. And one of the reasons he is, is because he's evolved through time. But I heard him at like one point in my childhood come home and yell at my mother for not having dinner ready. And yeah, my mother was the homemaker and my mother didn't work until I went to kindergarten and then she started working. So I've yeah, heard you're that, the youngest and I'm the, I'm youngest. the oldest. So, yeah, yeah. So she was home. So it's kind of the same kind of thing though. Yeah. She was home for three kids. Yeah. And then she started. So working. was my mom and my dad, I'll come back to it. But my dad, I think what I take from him today is very similar to what you take from your dad. He was, it took me a while to realize this. I think my relationship with my father was a little bit more complex when I was younger uh, because I was growing into a different type of man. But ultimately, when I look back, I'm like, wow, that guy did a lot to support our family. Mm-hmm. He did a lot to uh, make the money that we needed to live the life we wanted to live. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, so there's a couple of things I want to put uh, points on that I want to make sure we come back to. One is the the granny style shot, because <laughs> I, I, I think that that's uh, interesting. Even in its title, right? This yeah. is a granny style, because yeah. that has a whole connotation to yeah. it. And then uh, second, we should explore a little bit what you were just getting into is the way that our own dads related to our moms, because I think that very much, you know, what it is to be a man uh, in a lot of ways is defined in opposition to what it is to be a woman, right? And so... I want to just get some terms out here, just the way I'm thinking about things, just to make sure we're, we're clear. So when we talk about being a man or being a woman, and I'm thinking biologically, right? So I'm born a man biologically. You have an X and a Y chromosome. I have an X and a Y chromosome. I'm a biological male. When, when I talk about masculinity, so when you talked, when you mentioned how your grandmother had masculine female traits, right? So I think of like masculinity and femininity like as a spectrum. And this is more cultural than it is maybe biological to some extent, or at least half cultural, right? Where it's like, there are things in culture that are more associated with men and things that are more associated with women. And if you happen to do more of the things that are associated with men or, or identify more of those things, you might be seen as more masculine versus more feminine. So like at one time, me, like, what do I do all the time? I like to bake, right? 
Like there is baking traditionally, at least in the time when I was growing up, would have been read very much as a feminine pursuit, not a masculine pursuit. I didn't know a lot of men who baked, right? Now it's like you could be a professional chef and, you know, it's like it's totally different time. But so when I think about masculinity and femininity, I think about a, a, a spectrum based on, you know, cultural expectations and it plays in all there. Now, some of those affinities may very well be linked to your actual biology, right? It's hard to extricate those things from one another. And it's, it's almost silly to do so. We've had this conversation, I think, in different contexts. But I just think that um, when we're talking about those things, uh, it, that's the way I'm thinking about it. And then uh, masculinity, maleness, uh, femininity, femaleness, when we're talking about like our gender, how we portray ourselves outwardly and how we think about ourselves inwardly, right? And this is so much of what the discourse is about these days when we talk about it. We talk about the difference between biological sex, gender, and then sexual identity is even a different thing, right? You know, who are you, what are you attracted to? Uh, who are you attracted to? I don't know. I mean, is that the way you kind of interpret those t terms or do you yeah, see it differently? I or okay. I, well, I think... What I see is there used to be a stronger correlation between man and masculinity. So when you ask the question, what does it mean to be a man? When you ask that question in the 80s when we were kids, that was directly connected to masculinity. Right. But I think... More that, so. Yes. I think that um, nowadays the spectrum is dis more disconnected from that idea of being man and masculinity it doesn't have to be as one-to-one -one as it used to be yeah you know what i mean so yeah. when because when you say what does it mean to be a man you're uh you used to imply that in the 80s when we grew up what it meant to be a man meant to be masculine as i think is what i'm yeah i think say. i think i understand that and what it meant to be a woman meant you're you're, you're feminine. feminine yeah Where, whereas when you say your grandmother playing basketball or or being physical like that is more of a masculine thing i think now we've gotten to the point where like nobody would see a woman playing basketball and and be like oh that's a manly thing to do right where it's, it's just so accepted those ways have become so normal that playing sports now i don't think is as much associated masculine or feminine i think you know maybe people would still code it more as like a, a masculine kind of thing because sports are competitive and aggressive and those are attributes that traditionally i think in our culture would be associated more with men you know like it's not polite for women to be you know and this is coming out of old patriarchal norms right where what it meant to be a woman meant that you would not be aggressive and out there running around and that would be your like a tomboy or your you know you would have had a different classification but that would not have been what it is to be feminine i don't want to put my foot in my mouth so i'm going back to the beginning of the discussion because well i teach kids i teach 16 and 17 year olds and they are in a different culture than i uh, grew up in and i want to recognize that so i don't want to seem culturally ignorant so oftentimes when i'm discussing with them i make it very clear that you know i grew up in a different time where we saw things like this and i will ask them questions and one of the things i was confused about was this this idea of masculinity and femininity because you know, I'm fine with the gender thing because you don't do whatever you feel is you. I completely get it. And I have a bunch of kids who are transitioning and are in different phases and I'm fine with that. And I do the best I can to make them feel comfortable. And I was wondering, because we're in a culture that we're, we're openly accepting of that, which is awesome, does this change the way we view masculinity and femininity? So I actually asked my class one day, I was like, is there still, do we still have this split between masculine, not split, do we still have, spectrum is the way I like to see it, so I'm going to jump right to that. Do we? You said this already, and I'll come back to it. Do we still have a spectrum of masculine and feminine? And this is one of my more progressive classes from a couple of years ago. I really loved them. Uh, they had a lot of great thoughts. And they said, yeah, there's still, like, so I had, because I had a very open-minded uh, young woman who very much embraced femininity. She liked the idea of being a girl. She liked being a strong young girl. Her friend sitting next to her was a transgender male and they were very good friends. She, and I, she was like my go-to to ask these types of questions. And she said, yeah, I still very much like to define myself as feminine. Mm -hmm. I still very much like to dress in a, what might be called a feminine way. Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly acceptable for our generation to still, still talk in that way. Yeah, and, and I think essentially what's happened over our lives is the 
range of things that you could do, say, think, wear, be, and still like the scope of masculinity and the scope of femininity increased to some extent. The categories got bigger. There's way more things today you can do and nobody's going to look at you and be like, oh, that's weird for a man to do that. You know, whereas even being like a sensitive, caring father, you know, where at one time it would have been like, you know, why aren't you spanking your kids? And, you know, and there's still people that believe that. But this whole different way that you can relate to children as a man, as a dad, at one time would have been seen as somehow being more feminine. Whereas today I feel like, no, that's perfectly within masculinity, at least in the culture that I've experienced. Um, and I think that all of that is good in the sense that it, it just provides more opportunities for any human to embody the person that they actually feel like they are or want to be, right? Without feeling like the pressure to hide it or be something different. And I think that that is great. Um, one of the things I really, I think I struggled with when I was young is that the time we were growing up, if you were a young boy, you did things like you played sports, you played baseball, you joined the Cub Scouts or the Boy Scout. You know, like there was all these things. And if you didn't feel like you fit into that, you you kind of had to force yourself to fit into that. You know, um, like I didn't never, I didn't not like playing baseball and stuff like that. But, you know, I remember playing Pop Warner football and just never feeling comfortable and being completely out of place and really kind of hating that whole mentality and thinking like, I'm just not this kind of man or this kind of boy, but like, I felt like I needed to live up to that. Like, like we got to be tough and, you know, I got to tackle people. And I got a lot to respond to that with, and I have to start with Pop Warner because we played on the same Pop Warner teams. This is before we were even like, yeah, we like really friends. We didn't we, know each other. I think really we were like literally right next to each other on the offensive line and just weren't like, there's probably a picture somewhere that like hanging in my dad's house or in your parents, like <sighs> of a team with like us with shoulder pads that are too big and like standing right next to each other. <laughs> That might even be one of the reasons that we weren't necessarily friends at that point in time is because you weren't comfortable in that situation. And that was the situation I thought I always needed to be in because of where my father was. And so, yeah, yeah, we, we'll explore that at some other point, maybe without microphones in front of us. But uh, beside from that, I was just talking the other day about how glad I am that I have two boys and I'm, I'm so glad they're growing up in this time period because right now... I like them to do one activity uh, during each, whatever you might call it. I'm going to call it season for lack of a better word. I, I like them to do an activity uh, where they're involved with other people because I think it's important. I don't like them to do too many activities, but I let them choose. And right now, my seven-year-old is uh, in the Meriden Youth Theater doing a musical. And he's a boy and he's doing that. And it's, it's interesting because he definitely sees the div divide between boys and girls. And he talks a lot about it. And I might, if we have time, I'll talk about that later. And he, the other, the second practice, he was a little skeptical about it. He's like, there aren't a lot of boys in there, dad. But then the third practice, he had a great time and he loved it. And then my 10 year old is doing dance. And I feel like when we were kids, if I had done dance or musical theater, I would have been made fun of by my friend group. Yeah. I think one of the things that's definitely different now than when we were growing up is, you know, essentially the acceptance of different sexualities. When we were young, there were so many things that other boys would make fun of you for specifically in the sense that they would call you gay. Right. And it was like the worst thing to get called. Like of all the things they could call you, you know, it was like, you're acting gay or you're being gay or, and, and that, that was like the worst insult that could be hurled at you. So like, I think a lot of our being tough in some ways, that was your proof that like, no, I'm not, I'm not gay. I can, I'm a tough guy, you know? And, and I just think that now that that is just so much more acceptable, which is amazing because you don't have to feel and, and you know, and this is where I think we could put our foots in our mouths because I'm not gay. I'm but I, I would imagine, at least now, it's there. It's more acceptable, and something again. This is this is a widening of that category, right? Where something like being a dancer or being in theater, you would have at one time been like, well, only men who are gay are in theater, right? A lot of men would have made that claim. Now, I'm not saying that that's like out there in the culture, like articles are being written about it or anything like that. 
but that's when you're amongst a bunch of guys, that's what they would have said. So I have a very specific story to this. So um, I think for my first 16 years, I grew up trying to be some version of my father. Um, I wanted to be an athlete. My dad, like I said, like the rest of his family. And I, I, I need to end this with some very big compliments for my dad because he has grown into this amazing <laughs> grandfather. Like he's the cook in the house now. And I'll, I'll come back to that. But I wanted to be my dad. I wanted to be a major league baseball player. My dad was drafted by three teams out of, out of college. My dad played for the Reading Phillies for a while. Um, and then he played semi-pro, uh, semi-pro softball for a while. My dad was a great athlete by all accounts. Uh, he, my grandmother had scrapbooks collected of all his sporting endeavors. He was in the same graduating class as OJ Simpson, and there was the <laughs> book of great athletes, and he was in that book with OJ. I don't know if I've said that. I don't have yeah, no, I've never heard that before. That's, yeah, that's so, really pretty good. And he had, a, my dad had a slight deformity when he was born, where his, um, his chicken wing syndrome or something, his arm was tucked in, so they had to take it away from that position. So if he holds his forearms up, one of them is twisted in a weird direction that you wouldn't expect. So he had one of the longer write-ups because he had a deformity. Oh, wow. Like OJ had like a page and a half that's and my funny. dad had like a big paragraph. That's, that's awesome. So I wanted to be a major league baseball player. And I got cut from the Hamden Hyde team three straight years. And then I, this is, and we've talked about my transformation. And then that's when I was like, I like thinking. I want to be a thinker. So I start to move away from like, I'm not like my dad. And then I, and this is, it's funny because it correlates uh, exactly to when we started to become very good friends. Because I started to realize that I wasn't necessarily into these things that are... St- I do love sports. I did love playing them. But uh, about 16, I start to get into the arts. And I'm like, go head over heels into the arts. And I'm reading and I'm listening to music and I'm talking to you about all these things. And I go away to college and I still want to do these things. So when me and my group of buddies go on adventures, I'm like, we're going to an art museum. <laughs> we go to an art museum and my buddies they all jump into my white Astro van and they're like, whatever they kind of, I was, you know, something of a leader of the crew. So they went along with me or we go explore like uh, the Ray caverns in Virginia. We go do these things. And I would ask them to go along with me to all these weird adventures. And one of my friends eventually asked me like to my face, he said, and I didn't have girlfriends a lot. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was not comfortable talking to females yeah. uh, for, uh, I was just very nervous. Yeah. I was very insecure. I didn't know how to do it. I was attracted to them, but yeah. I never, I think I was overly attracted <laughs> to them, which is maybe why I was so insecure. Biology. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a whole different ballgame. And so my friend to my face uh, says, Jeff, are, are you gay? And I, it, it, I actually think it was an awesome question to ask because uh, he wasn't trying to insult me. He, was, uh, he wasn't trying to say like, I don't like you less because of that. He was actually trying to be open-minded and let me, I think maybe he was trying to let me come out in case I was like holding myself back because we lived in a time where yeah. you kind of did that. Um, yeah. And I said, no. And I, because of the culture of that moment, I may have been slightly offended by it, but I wouldn't be today. So let's see, that was in college. It was probably around, right, right around the turn of the century, 99 or 2000, where uh-huh. he asked me this question. And it was... It's, a, it's just an interesting interaction to even think about. Um, think about this, though. All right, you're into the arts and you don't have a girlfriend. That really speaks to what people would associate with these, these different things. And I don't have any negative connotations at this point in my life with the idea of being gay. But at that time, when I was a kid, I, it's hard to put yourself back in that frame of mind. I just felt like it was a thing I didn't want to be. Like, I didn't know, like, when I was, like, 10 or 11. Like, I I don't think at that age I was having sexual feelings, you know, one way or the other, like, an attraction to to males or females. Now, obviously, that changes as you go through, you know, middle school and puberty and, and high school. But I think at the time when, when I was first internalizing that concept, I was internalizing it as, like, you don't do these things as a man because if you are, that might mean this thing and that thing is bad. So, like, it was... I think I internalized the idea that like being gay was a bad thing to be. And so therefore you didn't want to do these things, but you wanted to do these other things. And maybe this is just me thinking about it now. 
and 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 that's obviously really problematic not just for people who actually are gay because god like how could you even live in a world like that how terrible and then even for everybody else it's distorting and warping your view of what it is to be human uh, uh, a man to be masculine it's just i don't know all that cultural baggage and all that stuff that we live with as you get older you can think about it but but also the culture around you has to change enough that you can have these conversations. And, and that brings us back to kind of how we started a little bit, because, you know, one of the reasons it's so hard to have this conversation now is because I feel like we've somehow gotten to a space where like, you can't, you're, you're, we're, it, these are weird things to talk about suddenly, because it feels like, first of all, you're I, not, ironically, that's like what old school masculinity was all about. Not, not talking, talking about these, not things, talking yeah. about things, right? Sorry, yeah. No, no, it's fine. Cause you're, you're right. I just think that it's interesting that, not talking about stuff because, you know, I, I, I think every time I've said the word gay in the last like 20 minutes, I feel this little bit of, well, wait a minute, you shouldn't be talking about that because only people who have that life experience have valid points of view, which is a whole other thing we could be talking about, right? Where, where now there's this concept that like, if you're not a woman, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't have an opinion on how, on women in society, because you know, you should just step back. And again, you said you used the word mansplaining, right? Uh, earlier. And, and, and I don't believe that that's true. I mean, I don't believe that my experience gives me insight necessarily into what it's like to be a woman or to be, uh, you know, a different gender, uh, or different race or any of those things. But it doesn't mean that like, we can't have discussion about what my experience has been with that in my life and how I think about it and how I interpret it, because I feel like all those perspectives are valid for understanding how it is that all of us individually make up this collective thing that we call our culture. Right. I'm going to be very careful with this. Um, cause I don't want to compare the situations in any stretch of the imagination, but when you bring up gay being used as a pejorative term. Mm -hmm. So first thing that comes to my mind is uh, like anybody who says, Anything against the idea of trying to stay away from using that as a pejorative term, do, that doesn't make any sense. It must feel awful for who you are as a person to be a negative term. It yeah. must feel awful. So, and this goes back to what you said before. The male situation today is nothing like the homosexual situation used to be. That was a legitimate civil rights battle that needed, uh, needed to happen. And luckily we are in a better place than we used to be in. But... To turn any label into a pejorative is not a good way to move forward. Mm -hmm. We should be affirmative. We should be in a place today where we're affirmative about all positive identities. Any identity that doesn't um, put down another person, any identity that doesn't negate another person should be looked at in the affirmative. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're being a nice person, there's no reason for you to be seen as negative just because of certain attributes of who you are. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Th that's why this whole concept of toxic masculinity, what is a positive affirmative vision of masculinity? How do we hold that and 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 what is it, you know? And and maybe we do a separate episode. <laughs> where, I, we're where not we, done with the discussion. We get into discussion. that. Um, but but I do want to point out because I've been staring at it this whole time, the fact that we're sitting here talking about masculinity, femininity, culture, you know, gender, uh, all how all these things intersect. And this whole time you're sitting there wearing a uh, LH versus SH powder puff football t-shirt. And, and the irony of it to me is like so funny because like, what is a powder puff? We used to play one in Stratford where I used to work too, but what is it? It's a, it's a football game where, the girls who aren't allowed to play football, right? Because there is no girls football. And every once in a while, you know, a girl tries to play football where they get to play a football game against the girls, the senior girls from this school and the senior girls from that school. And they get to do this thing that they never get to do. And it, it's huge in these towns where it's like, oh, we flipped the roles and now we're going to watch the girls play football. It's essentially like a, a tacit acknowledgement of like, here's a thing girls never get to do, but we're going to do it this one time. And it's also somehow really important. and. I don't know. It's just funny to me. Yeah, that's a whole history that could be explored. But so the Lyman Hall Sheehan game is considered to be one of the first powder puffs. It was started <laughs> 50 plus years ago in a time before Title IX. 
in a time where it might may have been a movement forward. Actually progressive? Yes. In some sense. And now it's become whole it different. It feels regressive to me now. Well, like, that's be- and because then the the boys become the cheerleaders and the boys in Lyman Hall used to wear thongs. Yeah. They used to be one of the jokes and skirts that's been since uh, taken away. But yeah, so I mean, there was a time when maybe a powder puff game was needed, but now it seems oh, cuz this is how far Powderpuff has gone in Wallingford. One of the reasons why Wallingford might not go to one high school, one of the reasons why people in town are arguing against it is because they want the crosstown rivalry Powderpuff game to continue between yeah. Lyman Hall and Sheehan. And they're nervous about what's going to happen if they only have one high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's like that whole cultural change and all that stuff is scary for people and tradition. And yeah, it's funny that you bring up the, the guys dressing like the cheerleaders, right? And it's like males have always somehow needed this acceptable way to be feminine in an ironic way where you're this like tough guy all the time. But then at the Powderpuff game, you take off the football gear and you put on the cheerleader outfit and it's okay to act like a girl and you won't be called gay for it just in this one very specific context. But if you tried to wear the cheerleader outfit, even for like Halloween or something like that at that time, you it would be like... Like, this is completely out of bounds, you know? And so it's it's just weird to me that it seems obvious that throughout our lives, people, no, no matter whether you were, um, you know, a male or a female, like, there was always some ways for us to acceptably, within the confines of our cultural, you know, wherever we were, let people assume these other roles for like a temporary period of time and everybody be okay with it and then immediately switch it right back. <laughs> and it's like, in this context, it's okay, but all the rest of the time, no. Yeah, I, I'm, we're coming near to the end and I just want to talk about my dad at the end because I want to compliment him because I feel like I've thrown him under the bus a little bit during the course of this episode. But And it comes to this idea of the spectrum and it comes to the idea of how difficult it is for us as a larger culture to see things on a spectrum. And I wish we were able to stay with the spectrum. We love to fall into dichotomies and we're currently doing it again. We're, we just love to fall into these simplified labels where we turn uh, larger groups of people into a monolith. We just keep doing it over and over again. But my dad is a great example of, so, cause I would say you and I have always had what might be called uh, things that are feminine in our, that we enjoy, that are a part of who we are. And I would say at a certain point in our life, we were comfortable with that and we accepted that. And we could, I could say, yeah, I'm fine. I, yeah, I like, uh, I have a femininity to me. I'm fine. I'm not a full on man's man and that's perfectly good. My dad has grown on the spectrum. So my dad has gone from the guy's guy who grew up with, you know, the old uh, farmer and grew up on a farm and felt like he needed to be a man and needed to come off as a man and wanted to be tough and wanted to look this way. He, my dad was like a version of the Marlboro man. And now my dad has, ever since my sister had her first kid 25 years ago, hmm. um, my dad has watched every grandkid and proudly says that he has babysat every one of his grandkids, which mm-hmm. is feminine in uh, terms of how we used to label well, it. Well, especially in your dad's context. Yeah. And I like that these, I like that every time I'm thinking about labeling something feminine, it, clearly it's a spectrum because what used to be feminine maybe isn't feminine anymore, which, so this is a flowing term. They're both flowing terms, which, uh, but, uh, and then my dad uh, also, uh, he got to retire early. He retired at 55, and when he retired and got to be home more often, he took over the cooking for my mother. So he goes from a guy who used to say, who literally would yell at my mother for not having dinner ready, to the guy who has dinner ready for my mother when she gets home from work, because she worked a good, oh, she worked a good five to ten years after he worked, and right. he, he just took that role. Yeah, My dad has become, so my grandpa's name is JT. He's become the guy who used to be JT, want to embody JT, thought he was JT, to the guy who is now more Wilma. He's more like my grandmother. He, When I come over, when my kids come over, he has food ready for them. That's what my grandma used to always be. Uh, my grandma used to have 17 pies laid out for yeah. us. My dad has baked goods from Costco ready for my <laughs> kids to eat. Here are 300 muffins that I bought in this giant box. I eat drove them. to four different stores to get the <laughs> cheapest price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which is also my grandmother. Great Depression uh, mindset. Um, 
So my dad has grown. Uh, like my relationship with my father today is better than it ever has been, and he's grown because he's no longer just limiting himself to being um, a guy's guy. And my dad, I just have to say this. Sorry, I know we're going a little no, bit long. No, no, it's fine. Because uh, and when I look back at what my dad used to have to go through, and I see what I'm going through, uh, my my life is easier because of him. But my dad would wake up for 15 years. So your dad made the decision to be home more with your family. Yeah. My dad <clears throat> made the other decision uh, and was forced into it. Uh, he used to work in Milford, and then his company, The Equitable, shut down the Milford office. So he was going to be moved to New York. Mm -hmm. But what is he going to do? He has to accept this because there's nothing else for him to do. I guess he could uproot our family and move closer to New York, but no, we stay in Hamden. Mm -hmm. So my dad, for 15 years, wakes up at 5 in the morning, drives to the New Haven train station, gets on a train, goes into New York City. He hates New York City. He hates crowds. He hates waiting. He hates lines. He's one of the most, in well, he's become more patient. One of the most, most impatient people I've ever seen. And then he gets on a train at 5.30 in the evening, doesn't get home till 7 at night. And he's grumpy. Of course he's grumpy. I get grumpy just from teaching for seven yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he did that. Uh, it kind of brings a tear to my eye sometimes, and I'm allowed to cry at this point in time. Uh, he did that for us as a family, and most of the decisions he made were for us as a family. Yeah. And he was able, I had a car. It wasn't the best car, but I had a car. He paid for college. I didn't pay for a single college loan until yeah. grad school. He did all of this for us as a family, and I've kind of like finally realized it. My dad had a heart attack at age 69. He was drinking too much vodka. Um, that attributed to the heart attack problem. He decides to stop drinking at age 69. Ironically, because of his masculinity, he refuses to do um, Alcoholics Anonymous. He's going to do it on his own because yeah. he's still a man. But he does it. And one of the reasons I he hasn't had a drink in six years, seven years. And one of the reasons I think he does it is because it was for us, for, for our family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't want to leave us yet. He wasn't right. ready. So he, so he's become an, the thing that's impressive about him is that he didn't get stuck. Yeah. He evolved. He moved across the spectrum. Yeah. He would not want to talk about this with me. No. <laughs> but he, he has moved. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was a longer one, but no, I just wanted it's fine. to make sure to. Well, and it's funny <sighs> because like, so like with my own dad, who you know, you know, and I know your dad, you know my dad. Um, and it's, it's funny because we both would have met our respective dads like later on right like i didn't know your dad really when you were growing up as much as like he was working when i met you but it wasn't very long before he retired yeah after i met you right yeah. um and my dad he, he was he's been working he he hasn't retired but essentially i almost feel like when he switched jobs and became a custodian he didn't retire he obviously went and worked but that was a clear transition where he was doing a totally different kind of job you know and now he's retired but you know for me with my dad until I got older, like college age, and you know, we started bonding over different kinds of things. Like we both really love music. My dad played the guitar. That guitar in the corner over there is my dad's guitar. It was just like sitting in the house forever. It's not really playable because it's cracked. It was in an attic, not in a case. Um, but my dad had a guitar and like he plays the guitar and like we've I've now played songs like with my dad and like sing songs and like the even the idea of doing that when I was a kid would have been so embarrassing to me. Man, don't take a guitar and sing a song. I didn't have any of that. And and now like we get together on Christmas Eve all day and we cook and we talk and we have real communication and it's great. And I'm I'm lucky to have that. And it's just interesting because I've wanted to emulate a lot of those things with my own kids, but just also make sure that they don't have the restrictions. At least I don't through my own actions accidentally give them any restrictions with, at least within the context of, of the home where we live. Right. And so it's like, you can be any kind of guy you want to be. You could do whatever you're into. Um, look at your mother. She does plenty of things that like w when somebody needs to fix something in this house, it's not dad who does it. It's mom who does it. You know, like somebody needs to cook dinner. It's dad who cooks it, you know, that. So we've like been cognizant of that. And I think 
moving forward in a, another episode, maybe we can start to explore uh, two things. One, where do we get our sense of what it is to maybe be a dad or, or, or be a father other than the relationships that we've gotten to experience, which is primarily our parents, right? But also like then how do we translate that into a positive vision of you know, what it is to be a man or what it is to be masculine or, you know, for now, like what is the affirmative vision? Because I, I do think we should spend some time trying to just really like think about that. Kind of like when we did our what is life episode and we tried to define, you know, life in some way. I mean, it's not like it's anything ultimate. It's just like our vision right now, based on where we are and what we've experienced and everything we've, we've done. Um, you know, I think it, I think it would be interesting. And I think it's an important thing to talk about because it's not talked about. Yeah. I'd like to talk about boys in education. We didn't even get to talk about that. I'd like to talk about a bunch of other stuff in this area. Yeah. So oftentimes we find ourselves at the end coming to this nice little pithy comment that kind of finalizes our discussion. There, <laughs> there isn't one here because it's such a complex discussion. I'm just thinking about like three other episodes we're going to have to branch yeah. off of uh, with this. I just hope we've done it justice so far. I think that we did. I think we, I think we have a starting point. I mean, I, I guess the pithy uh, final thought is, uh, you know, uh, masculinity, femininity are a are are um, evolving spectrum, never to be finalized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we could go back to be, it being a process. Yeah, it's a process. <clears throat> yeah. You know what we should do now? What? We should go uh, have a beer and listen to that uh, country music? country music playlist, <laughs> a gluten free, non alcoholic beer for me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Beautiful Illusions. We sincerely hope you enjoyed the conversation and more importantly, that it made you think about something in a new way. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and more importantly, share with your friends. The Beautiful Illusions theme was written, performed, and recorded by Darren Vigliotti and Joseph Vigliotti. For a complete set of show notes with links to almost everything we discuss or reference, corrections and elaborations, as well as other miscellaneous bits and pieces, please visit our website, beautifulillusions.org.